Let's pray. As rain and snow water the earth and seeds sprout forth, so your word goes forward and it shall not return empty, but it accomplishes all its purpose and will succeed in the things which it was sent. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you mix my mom uh, with a foreign exchange student from Kenya and a bat, uh, you're going to get a crazy story. So one night, uh, Zenot, who uh, lived with us, a Kenyan, growing up, she uh, was uh, walking down our hallway on our second floor in our house in Madison and from getting some water at night, and she she calls out to my mom and, and her who's Carol. Carol. My mom wakes up and Zenot points to the window and she says, There's a bat. There's a bat right there. It's on the window. And my mom says, Oh, Zenot, don't it's on the outside of the window. So they both approach the bat. And as my dad tells the story, um, hearing a Kenyan woman and my mom scream at the same time as the bat was the inside of the window, not the outside, uh, caused quite the commotion in the household. Oh, the dangers of not realizing how something really is. We're going to do what we do every week. We're going to approach the Bible. What is it, really? See, there's a big difference for our mom and Zenot about the bat being on the inside of the window instead of the outside of the window. And there is a big difference as we approach the Bible as seeing it as just the word of men versus the word of God. I'm going to approach this through three questions today. First, why is it hard to see the Bible for what it really is? Two, what does it really mean for it to be the Word of God? And lastly, how does that really matter for us? Why is it hard to see the Bible for what it really is? What does it really mean for it to be the Word of God? And how does that really matter for our situations? Lots of reallys, and you'll see why. Let's turn here to the Word of God. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. It's in your New Testament, if you have a Bible. And uh, it's on page 986 of the Pew Bibles over there. It's like that much through your Bible. So if you got to Timothy, you went too far. If you're at Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you got to keep going. Okay? Here we go. God's Word. Let's pay attention. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it 
not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But why do we do this? Why do we do this exercise every week? Opening the Bible, cracking it open and reading it. So we can learn obscure things about crazy judges that ruled a tiny nation 3,000 years ago. We can get a jolt and a shock from prophets who warn us about wars to come, like reading Isaiah. We can get good political or family advice from a messed up family like King David's. So we can read like we are this winter and this spring about the struggles of a little band of people in an ancient Roman city of Thessalonica. Right? This is just what we do. This is church, right? We read the Bible. Although I find that's become rarer and rarer in churches nowadays. But what is it? So you can get fun cultural takes from a pastor. So you can fill your brain with information. So you can know what Christianity is all about. Well, those things are good. It's not bad to learn history and all those things. But the reason we open this book each week and read its poetry, its narrative, its law, its gospel, every part of this book, the reason we do it is because it is God talking to us. This is God's Word. And if any of you have said, well, God has never talked to me. No, He has talked to you. Here it is. And this is what we are going to look at today. This is what Paul is arguing. God is talking to you. Through his word. Well, today, you know, I know we're going through 1 Thessalonians, but you'll see the major topic today is going to be on kind of a theology of Scripture. Because it kind of fits on that today and our passage that we're reading. A lot of my ideas uh, and thoughts ultimately come from the Bible, come from church history. Uh, but one person that's been helpful on this uh, I take some thoughts today, is Kevin DeYoung's book, Taking God at His Word. It's a really short book, great book. I'll put it out there if anyone really wants to take it. Um, they can take it this week. And, um, but uh, Taking God at His Word, Kevin DeYoung. 
So I don't plagiarize in any way. A lot of my ideas come from him today. So why is it some of us don't believe this is God's word? Well, first of all, we live in the modern world. The idea of God speaking can seem ludicrous in a rational, scientific place. It might have been easy for the ancient world to swallow God speaking, but uh, they were before the Enlightenment. They were before reason. Of course, they swallowed this as God's word. The feeling you're going to see today is that that's not really always the case. Even in the ancient world, it was hard for them to swallow this is the word of God. That the apostles speaking was actually God telling a story about what he was doing in his world. And in fact, the reaction to the apostles and their saying this is God's word is probably even harsher than today's reaction of saying this is God's word. So you can't just say, oh, back then they just swallowed it all and now we're more rational. No, even then there were problems with this. And Paul was seeing this and that is what leads him into this second round of thanksgiving. Look with me again, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. See, Paul doesn't often do second rounds of thanksgivings. It's very rare he does this in his letters. But here he does it after you know, a whole chapter and a half of thanking God for what he's doing. He comes back again and thanks God for what he's doing. And what does he thank God for in this situation? He thanks God for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. You see, there was opposition that said, here's just other philosophers coming in and teaching you. Other teachers from other lands telling you all these different things. Paul is saying, no, no, no. This isn't just some other philosophy. This isn't just some other Greek idea, some other Roman idea, not some other religion. No, this is God speaking. And he is thanking God that in the midst of this opposition of people saying this is just one other message, in the midst of opposition that people say, how could we follow one, a suffering king, one that went to the cross? How could we follow one that doesn't have an empire that we see? This is not an appealing message. Why would we take this as the word of God? And this is why God, why Paul thanks the Lord for what is happening in Thessalonica. He said, through all, all this opposition, through what all these people are going against, no matter what, whatever people disparage this message, there are people that see this is from God. It's not from just man, it is words from him. 
as I go through pastoral ministry and grow in this ability to preach and to learn, I find myself echoing Paul's thankfulness. That God would actually break through all the distractions that this world offers. That people would actually believe that it is him speaking through the Bible. Through competing interests. Through painful church experiences people have had. Through a consumer mentality that discards anything that doesn't meet our needs. That people actually would come and sit here on Sunday morning and hear someone talk for sometimes 40 minutes. Just unheard of nowadays. People listen to someone for 40 minutes. That that is a work of God. I am thankful for him that his word is able to penetrate, that people actually believe this is something I should listen to because it is from him. And that is what Paul is doing. He's saying, thank you, God. I've had all these horrible experiences in Philippi, throughout Asia Minor, all these people that have rejected, but these people through all the distractions have heard and believed. Is, many people are just dead set on not listening to what the Bible says. They've already made up their mind. They're just, I am not listening to this. And that's what was happening there. I find it very ironic that in Acts that describes the situation that's here is that it said that Paul and his friends we're turning the world upside down, right? That's what they were accusing them, turning the world upside down. But who was it that started the riots in Thessalonica? <laughs> it wasn't Paul. It was in, fa in fact the leaders of the synagogue that went up and got these criminals in the town of Thessalonica and drew up a riot in the town. Because they were dead set on not listening to what Paul was saying. See, I think it's very easy to miss our inconsistencies. See, a person that criticizes people that are judgmental, you're so judgmental. That's what you Christians do. You judge, you judge, you judge. I find it interesting, and I called my friends on this, that are, are, are not Christians, we have good, friendly banter. I, you know, you criticize me for being judgmental, but you're the one that throws the bombs on Facebook. And I feel judged by you all the time. Or someone that's a rebel and says, I want to go against the crowd. But then they end up acting like all the other rebels in how they look and what they wear. You know, I'm all about the hipster look. That might be a rebel look, I guess. But all hipsters look the same at times, you know? See, it's easy to be blind to our blindness. <laughs> we make claims about openness. 
but we have already shut down the Bible and what it might say. It's misogynistic, it's homophobic, it's irrational, it's restrictive. The conversation is already done before it's even opened. I don't have time today. I've done it in past sermons, and I love to about the reliability, the credibility of the Bible, why it should be listened to. If you have these doubts, I would love to talk to you. Just sit down and talk to you about the Bible. But I really wonder if that's really the excuse. And that's why I really love what Paul is thanking God for, because I think it's God that's able to actually break through all the distractions, all the dead set positions, to get people to actually hear that this is from God. So why some don't believe this is really God's word? What is it really when we say it is the word of God? You remember, Paul was doing something that we today as preachers do. He would go to the synagogue, they would open the scroll, they would read the Old Testament or the Torah, and then he would expound on it. In Paul, what he was doing, he was saying that the Old Testament is fulfilled in this Christ, in Jesus. He is the Messiah. And Paul is arguing that I have carried on the message, the Word of God, the Scriptures through Jesus and what I communicate to you. And that is what all the apostles are doing through the Gospels, through the letters, through Peter, through John. This message of Scriptures of God's Word is being carried on. This is not simply some other philosophy or idea. This is the Word of God. And Peter backs us up in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. He says, Paul has sent you many letters. And all of his letters, all of them, they might be hard to understand, but they are Scripture. See, Peter puts Paul's letters and his teaching on par with Holy Scripture, with the Torah. This is the Word of God. This idea has fallen on hard times. <laughs> Specifically in the 19th century, that's when things started to crack, and then we've seen this crack just turn to canyons in the 20th century in the church. If you're really interested in that, it's called the liberal-conservative divide on, on the Bible, and uh, that's between mainline church and evangelicals, conservatives. I give you all that background I don't want to go into it, but I want to say something that one of these guys who was early on in seeing this crack in an understanding that is this the word of man or the word of God was a teacher at Princeton Theological Seminary. His name is B.B. Warfield. And Warfield wrote a lot about the authority of the Bible. And he says this. This is in the 19th century the biblical writers do not conceive of the scripture as a human product breathed into by the divine spirit and thus heightened into in its qualities or endowed with new qualities, but as a divine product 
produced through the instrumentality of its writers. I'll rephrase it for you. Scripture isn't simply inspiring. Simply isn't good things that guys say about what they think about God. No, Scripture is inspired. It's not simply inspiring. It is inspired. It is the Word of God. Come to men and written down. I don't know about this. I, I, I just know I follow, I follow Jesus. That's the main thing. I just, I just want to follow Jesus. You know, I, some of these things I might believe, some of them I might not believe. You know, I'll just kind of pick in what I want. But if I want to really center my faith on anything, I just want to center it on Jesus. That's what's really important. I've heard that argument too. You conservatives, right? I'm going to label myself, right? Conservatives, you evangelicals, a loaded word nowadays. You, you make the Bible a God. I just want to follow Jesus. Well, I want to speak to that. If you believe that, I just want to follow Jesus, which we do. I, I follow Jesus. What does Jesus think about the Bible? I encourage you, read the Gospels. Jesus consistently went to the Scriptures to defend his ministry. Jonah, the prophets, obscure Psalms that I think no one would ever use for anything, Jesus uses. And when he argues for his authority against Pharisees, What does he say to the Pharisees? He says, have you not read? (laughs) When he goes to the devil, when the devil accuses him, what does Jesus say? It is written. He goes to the word. He goes to scripture. If Jesus goes to scripture against the devil, should we not do the same? You see, our understanding of who Jesus is comes through the Word. Christ is not a judge of Scriptures and saying, oh, I accept this, I don't accept that. No, He obeys it and He follows it. Why? Because it is His Word. It is His Father's Word. If you want to obey Jesus, obey the Bible. Come on, I I believe in the Jesus of love and compassion. I like this kind of stuff. I do too. But Jesus says more than just that. See, if you take out the other stuff, you are not following Jesus, but you are following a Messiah of your own imagination. And it will fall short. You have to ask yourself, what is the final word in your life? 
Is it me or the Bible? Is it my experience or the Bible? Is it popular opinion or the Bible? Is it my feelings or is it the Bible? See, we, when we use words like inerrancy, we are saying the word of God stands over us, not us over it. So my problem is, this is a good thing. Okay, this is a good thing. In the 18th century, when Great Britain was totally dead set on the slave trade. When they said, that, that was a popular opinion of the day, this is what you do. It took guys like John Newton and William Wilberforce and Charles Simeon, who Josh mentioned last week. It took those guys saying, we obey the word of God first and foremost, that he made all people in his image that we will stand against the popular opinion of the day and what people say because we believe that is our authority. Thank God that those people stood by God's word when the culture was against it. That they were convicted by the word because it led to the end of slavery in Great Britain. Oh, and today... Trust me, there are things that the Bible says that are very offensive to our culture today. I said this again, I'll beat this drum again. The Christian sexual ethic is definitely not something that is popular in our culture. But I will tell you something, and I've said it before, our culture needs the Christian sexual ethic if the Me Too movement has shown us anything, it shows us that we treat women with respect, that we have sex in the right confines, in commitment. I, I, it's so ironic to me. The New York Times was writing, maybe we should have contracts before we get into intimate relationships with people. And I said, we've been saying that forever. That's what Christianity is. We have sex when we have committed to someone and made a covenant with them. See, this is huge. That God is speaking through His Word to us. It is Him speaking. I mind this quote from John Calvin. And I thought, John Calvin, right? He's like, you know, for us Presbyterians, he's like the guy, right? He doesn't say crazy stuff. Especially about how God's word still speaks and revelation, all things. He doesn't say crazy things. Read what, this is what Calvin says about what we are doing right now, what I am doing as a preacher. He says this. When a preacher who is duly called and appointed by God speaks, it is as if God himself were speaking through him. The word of God is not distinguished from the word of the prophet. God wishes to be heard through the voice of his ministers. You better listen up. 
right? Everything I say is the word of God. No, I'm opening the Bible because I'm speaking through his word. And you shouldn't be going, well, Dan said, my pastor said. No, you should be saying, the word said. And if I say something wrong, you should be going to the word and saying, this is not what the word says. talking about this in a community group. Some people are just caught off guard because they know me personally, you know, not through being a pastor or preaching. And then after maybe a year or knowing me for a long period of time, they hear me preach. And they say, man, you, you just, you preach so boldly. You're so authoritative. I preach boldly and I preach authoritatively because what I am preaching is true. This is the Word of God. Listen, I say crazy stuff to Aaron, to my kids, off the, you know, when I'm not here in the pulpit, but when I am preaching, this is the Word of God. When people went around Jesus, what did it say? They marveled. They marveled at Jesus. Why did they marvel at him? Because he told good jokes? Because he was clever? Because he was hilarious? No, what does it say? They marveled at him because he spoke with authority. He was speaking the words of God because he was God incarnate. Come, speaking to men and women. Oh, how we neglect this in America. How we take it for granted. I was talking to my friend, Michael Ballard, in Colorado, he grew up in a missionary family, and his dad was a, a missionary with Wycliffe Bible translators in the Philippines, a remote village. His dad hadn't been back to this village in 40 years. And Michael had the idea, Dad, let's go back. You haven't been there in 40 years, let's go back to the village. So, just a couple weeks ago, and I was hearing about his travels, he took his dad and his siblings and they flew back to this remote village in the Philippines, not really telling many people that they were coming. As they arrived at the airport, there was a crowd waiting for them. Lee Ballard, welcome home. People asked him to sign autographs. He did not pay for any of his meals when he was there. The governor of the province asked him to come and they celebrated him. Why? Because Lee Ballard was the first person to translate the New Testament into their language. And they said, you brought us the word of God. 
You brought us God's word and we will celebrate what has happened. Do you see what we neglect? We should be celebrating. We should be rejoicing. We have the word of God. We have his salvation for us right here. Those people got it. But as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers, how does it really matter? Well, it says it has an effect. It's energio. The Greek means energy. It produces something. It motivates faith, repentance, obedience. See, in the Thessalonians, it was working. They had joy in the midst of persecution and suffering. They were suffering like the church in Judea was suffering and they still spread the message. They still had joy, as it said in chapter 1. They still followed after it, loving their enemies. See, it worked in them. The Word was working. I think the persecution, as historians show, and it shows here in Thessalonians, the persecution worked a little bit differently than it might have in other regions. There could have been some jailings. There could have been some physical abuse. Many of those things in the Roman Empire happened maybe later. But the persecution that they were facing here was really because they had become a very peculiar people. These Christians in Thessalonica. See, there were other religions that came and went. I mean, there you had the Greek gods and then the Roman gods and you had the Jews. You had all these people with all these different gods and it was fine, right? You could just pick and choose or add one where you wanted to. But there was something different about these Christians. They said you can't just add gods. There's one God. There is one Lord. It is not Caesar, but it is Jesus. And what became peculiar is these people started not to participate in the temple worship or the Olympic Games or in honoring Caesar. You see, that was hard because as a clients and there were patrons if you honored caesar they would give you money that was kind of what it was you came to certain things the roman empire would help you they would fund you and now you don't come to those things the money doesn't come to, towards you and that is where the persecution was happening amongst them you know, you know many say we don't have persecution like other countries we don't Persecution doesn't look like us losing our lives or our freedom or those things. But I do wonder, are we peculiar people, Christians? I think we should be. We do something different on Sunday morning than play golf 
or sleep in or do sports. Our careers are not our ultimate goal. We don't live together before we get married. We love people that are outside of our family like they are our family. That is peculiar. That is weird in our culture. But it shows that the word is working in us. That we're following it, that we're counter-cultural. See, another way the word is at work is their view of suffering as a whole. See, these people saw suffering that wasn't just condemning. They saw their suffering as redemptive. As they suffered, it didn't make them run away from God or think God was abandoning them. It made them think God is redeeming us and helping us. This, if there's anything we could learn from the Thessalonians, it's this. Because we don't seem to deal well with suffering and pain. We think if we suffer, there must be some failure in us. There must be something wrong with us. But here, suffering is redemptive. It leads to repentance where you trust something other than God and God redirects you. It causes reliance that you don't trust yourself, but you trust God. It causes reward that you look at this world that is broken. You say there is a hope and a redemption to come. It is a reminder that Christ himself suffered and we are identified with him. And if we are identified with him, we realize that our suffering isn't just condemnation, but this is the way that God saves the world. I think how we fall into really bad places is that we have an understanding that says, I shouldn't have to suffer. And then what do we do? We numb ourselves. Drugs. Alcohol, TV, being busy, buying stuff. But you see, the Thessalonians, they received energy from the Word. They saw Abraham suffered. Isaac suffered. David suffered. The prophets suffered. Jesus Christ suffered. Not as condemnation, but it was redemptive. In this passage, it shows the difference between redemptive suffering that's happening in the Thessalonians and then judgment, condemnation suffering that was happening among the Jews. Probably one of the most controversial passages in all the New Testament in verses 15 through 16. 
It's been plucked away from its context and said, look, Paul is an anti-Semite. That's what he is. Look at how he talks about the Jewish people. And through history, it has been plucked to be able to justify persecution towards the Jews. Again, if we're good at looking at the Bible, we look at the Bible in context. And we should see here that one, Paul is Jewish. Okay. <laughs> um, if you read other parts of the New Testament, he's much harsher to Christians than he is to Jews. Paul is just reiterating what the prophets said in the Old Testament, Jewish prophets, about certain Jewish people. And if you read Jesus in Matthew, you realize that Jesus is very harsh and says even harsher things. So you testify against yourselves, talking to the Jews, that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. See, this is not a social argument. This is a theological argument. This is an argument to say we should persecute Jews, nations should go against them, individuals should go against them. No, it says God is the judge over people. And if we really read Paul, we see in Romans he says, I would give my own life so that my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, would come to faith in Christ. Martin Luther has lots of good things that he's done, but a horrible thing that he did was his persecution of the Jews using passages like this to justify um, condemnation of the Jewish people. I think much of this comes because Martin Luther's message was rejected by the Jews. And he received a lot of vitriol from the Jewish people from his messages. And he responded with that in kind. I think we can learn from this. As we talk about Christ to the culture, as I talk about Christ here as we share who we are as a people, the culture might reject us. They might say horrible things about us. The response is not to go after them. The response is not to get our rights. The response to suffering is love and gentleness while speaking the truth. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. As Christians, we are not victims. God told us there would be suffering. So don't be surprised. Don't start saying, give me my rights. Give me what I deserve. Instead, let us respond to it with hope and joy through the empowerment of God's word. There should be an amen to that, okay? I'm sorry. But we are failing as evangelicals in this. 
We are failing. And it is ridiculous. Look what they, they take their suffering and they respond with love. How did the Roman Empire get transformed? Because Christians didn't say, give me my rights. I'm a Roman citizen. I deserve X and Y. Moving on. Okay. God will judge though, won't he? He says, so always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. What he's saying is that, and this is referenced by Christ and in the Old Testament, that there are occasions where nations just kept on sinning and sinning. And God says, I'm waiting for the right time for them to fill up all of their sin, and then I will bring judgment upon them. And Peter it reiterates this, God is patient with us, wanting no one to perish. But that doesn't mean that God will not cause people to perish. There will come a time where he will pour out his judgment. It's happening temporally to the Jewish people and happening eternally to those that turn away from him. It will happen. See, this is a complaint. Say, Christians, you, you talk about heaven and hell. You just talk about other things outside of this world. It's all pie in the sky. That is what Christianity is. Just pie in the sky thinking. C.S. Lewis talked about this exact Thing, this persecution he got about it, the jeers from people saying, you Christians are just pie in the sky. And Lewis responded to them by saying this, well, either there is a pie in the sky or there is not. If there is not, then Christianity is false for the doctrine is woven into its whole fabric. If this is true, if this is God's word, judgment will come. His wrath will be poured out. And he is patient, letting sin be filled up. But there will come a time where judgment will come. We are in a season of his patience. But one day, when he comes again, that will be no longer. Except to those that trust that he is the one that saves. Well, John Newton, the former slave trader that became a Christian and a pastor, preached many, many sermons And there was a young woman in his congregation that was about to die. She'd only traveled 12 miles outside of her home in all her life. She didn't have amazing worldly experiences. She didn't read many books. The book that she loved the most was the Bible, and that's what she read. 
And she was on her deathbed. And she spoke to her pastor, John Newton. This is what she said to John Newton. Sir, you are highly favored in being called to preach the gospel. I have often heard you with pleasure. But give me leave to tell you that I now see all you have said or can say is comparatively but little. Nor till you come into my situation and have death and eternity in full view. Then will it be possible for you to conceive the vast weight and importance of the truths that you declare. My hope is that we would not have to be on our deathbed to know the vast truths that are being declared. This is God's word speaking to us, talking to us. Will we listen? Will we hear? Here's an approach. An approach to God. Do we believe that this is the Word incarnate? This is Christ come for us. If you stand and you come forward, you are acknowledging that it's not on the outside of the glass, but it's on the inside. This is God come to earth through Christ. The Word become flesh. Let us take it in. Let us be empowered through it. Let us be energized by it. If you're just visiting us, I encourage you, um, this is not just a Presbyterian table or a uh, an Emmaus Road table. This is for those that say, I need Christ. And we encourage you to partake. We have white grape.